Okay, great. On behalf of CHEST, I would like to welcome you to the August 2019 podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and I'm the editor of the CHEST podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a very interesting conversation. Today, we are fortunate to have Drs. Horner and Fabri as our guests. Dr. Horner is an author of the CHEST article entitled, Overdiagnosis of COPD in Subjects with Unobstructed Spirometry, a Bold Diagnosis. Dr. Fabri is an author of the accompanying editorial entitled, COPD, What's in a Name? Mismatch of Diagnostic Labels and Required Physiologic Features. Drs. Horner and Fabri, thank you both so much for joining us. And before we get started, I'll ask Dr. Horner if you could please introduce yourself. Thank you, Dominique, for the invitation to participate in this podcast feature. I'm Andreas Horner, a clinical researcher, PhD student, and resident physician at the Department of Pulmonology at the Kepler University Hospital in Linz, Austria. Thank you. Great, an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast with us. And Dr. Fabri, um, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you uh, for the kind invitation to this podcast. My name is Leonardo Fabri. I'm visiting professor at, uh, the, at Gothenburg University. I am here representing uh, Louis Van Fletteren, who is the director of the center, who was unable to attend the conference. And uh, the center is uh, part uh, COPD center at Salgrenska Hospital in Gothenburg. It's part of the Department of Medicine of the University of Gothenburg. Great, an absolute pleasure to have both of you on this podcast with us. So today we'll be discussing Dr. Horner's article entitled Overdiagnosis of COPD in Subjects with Unobstructed Spirometry, a Bold Diagnosis. Dr. Horner, could you please tell us why you performed this study? For sure. So misdiagnosis, including underdiagnosis and overdiagnosis of COPD is common as we know. Underdiagnosis of COPD has been documented and published in several studies. However, there's little known about overdiagnosis and overtreatment in COPD. Therefore, we were interested in the amount of overdiagnosis, which may be followed by overtreatment in a general population. According to the current gold uh, report, spirometry is mandatory for COPD diagnosis. Nevertheless, CPD is often based on symptoms alone. Uh, overdiagnosis may result, in a way further down, in overtreatment as well. And this may result in unnecessary costs and potential side effects as well. In summary, we wanted to examine CPD overdiagnosis and overtreatment and describe its relation with the participants' characteristics and geography. Perfect. So how did you perform your study, and how does it differ from prior studies on the same topic? In our study, we used uh, data from the BOLD study, the Burden of Obstructive Lung Disease study. The BOLD initiative, as most of you may know, uh, aims to, to estimate the prevalence of COPD worldwide using cross-sectional uh, surveys with high levels of quality control and standardized methods. We use data from 23 sites in 20 countries worldwide. And finally, we were uh, able to 
uh, include a total of 16,177 participants. Um, it, it differs in this way from prior studies, that is the first study uh, which describes uh, in such a huge population, uh, CPD uh, over-treatment and, and over-diagnosis in the first hand um, in a general population. So I think this is the, the new thing we did. And what were your primary findings? So among the, as already said, 16,177 participants, about 5.7% uh, reported a previous medical diagnosis of CPD. And the interesting uh, fact was that in more than 60% uh, of these subjects, the spirometry we performed afterwards was found unobstructive. Unobstructed, sorry. Um, so hence, in more than 60% of all patients labeled with a CPD diagnosis uh, do not fulfill the criteria criteria of obstruction in spirometry. Uh, in the first hand, we used, as in previous um, uh, bold reports, uh, we used the LLN, the lower limit of normal um, criteria. Uh, as, as we also wanted to, to make some um, comparison with other studies and also with the gold reports, we uh, afterwards analyzed as well the same uh, criteria with, by using the fixed uh, ratio criterion, so if the FE1 uh, to FVC uh, is below uh, 0.7, and we, we had the same results. So we, we saw that in about 55%, um, the patients labeled with CPD had an unobstructed uh, spirometry. Um, moreover, and this is more the second thing about overtreatment, we saw that in nearly 50% of these uh, patients with a false positive CPD diagnosis uh, reported using a current uh, respiratory medication. And if you went a bit, uh, a bit down uh, and we excluded the patients with the history of asthma, still about one-third it's 34.4% uh, of those with a normal spirometry used a regular respiratory medication. Uh, furthermore, and more interestingly as well, CPD overdiagnosis and overtreatment uh, was more common in high-income countries. Uh, and it was associated with female gender, higher education, former or current smoking, a presence of respiratory symptoms as wheezing, coughing, or phlegm, and a concomitant medical diagnosis of heart disease or asthma. Great, thank you for uh, relaying those findings. So uh, I'll first start with Dr. Horner, and then I'll move to Dr. Uh, Fabry. Dr. Horner, how do you interpret your study's findings, and what were the limitations that you identified? Um, in our opinion, one of the... Um, most important and the main outcome was this false positive CPD. So CPD overdiagnosis is frequent and it is associated with inappropriate overuse of respiratory uh, medication. Uh, and all, and as also uh, described in the editorial of uh, Dr. Fabri and uh, Dr. Louis van Vleteren, um, it highlights the complexity of making the correct CPD diagnosis. So misdiagnosis of CPD is very common, 
Um, and what was interesting for us, uh, a previous lung function test does not eliminate the false positive uh, CPD diagnosis. So we saw that in about half of the subjects, about 50, uh, more than half the subjects with a false positive COPD uh, reported a previous lung function, a previous lung function. And also in sites like in, in Bergen in Norway, um, which reported a lung function test of more than 90%, and they were not able to eliminate uh, the misdiagnosis of COPD. Uh, and which is also interesting and which we thought in, in, in other studies was seen uh, that uh, in total only about 40% in our study in 38.1% of all previous COPD uh, diagnoses were correct in a biomedical sense. You also asked me about the limitations of our study. For sure, one big limitation is uh, that uh, a previous medical diagnosis of CPD uh, was defined as a self-reported diagnosis of CPD, chronic bronchitis or emphysema, or a combination of them. So we did not have any medical reports proving that. This may lead to an overestimation of previously diagnosed CPD and consequently of overdiagnosis of CPD. And this was also one main limitation the reviewers um, um, told us. Um, but afterwards, we looked up some, some data, which was recently uh, published um, uh, using some American studies, and they saw that uh, using only, only a previous uh, CPD diagnosis is not estimating the real CPD amount in the population and that it is a good idea to, to use all the three diagnoses previously. And Dr. Fabry, um, you get the opportunity to review this article and you, uh, you, you and your group produced a very interesting editorial. I'd hope you'd be able to tell us uh, your interpretation of Dr. Horner's findings and what were your identified limitations. Yeah, I think this is a nice study. It's actually confirming that uh, doctor diagnosis uh, reported by the patient is unreliable. Uh, for several reasons. First, uh, that uh, there is no airflow limitation. I think that the study is uh, beautiful from the epidemiologic point of view, but uh, uh, does not address uh, the questions uh, that the physician and the specialist particularly have when, uh, as when uh, uh, is uh, reported a patient uh, with this diagnosis. Uh, the, the, uh, the, what they, was identified in the bold study in general, but in, also in this specific study, was uh, uh, airflow limitation, post-bronchodilator airflow limitation. And this was taken as a gold standard for the diagnosis of COPD, which was correct at the time when the study was conceived. Uh, but is no longer correct today, uh, meaning that uh, you need two additional features that are one, history of smoking or exposure to pollutants, and the second, symptoms, in addition to airflow limitation. That's one point. The other point is that uh, the measurements were done once, 
at the beginning of the study when the study was performed. And we don't know the reproducibility of uh, the post-bronchodilator FEV1, and we don't know the reproducibility the doctor diagnosis uh, of uh, COPD. In clinical practice, uh, you always look uh, with suspicion to the external diagnosis, not proven by a confirmed spirometry, not proven by re uh, multiple spirometries, not proven by treatment for time. When you don't have these elements, uh, you search for confounding factors, why, uh, like uh, uh, comorbidities uh, or uh, uh, false uh, uh, diagnosis, particularly in elderly and smokers. But that doesn't, this does not detract from the findings. Actually, I think that the message that uh, this study provided is that uh, uh, you cannot rely on doctor diagnosis to take a clinical decision. You have then, at the clinical level, you have to make your own uh, uh, diagnosis uh, that includes uh, collection of history with the smoking history and symptoms and repeated a Canadian study showed that repeated spirometry over time, even after treatment, to make sure that you have a definite diagnosis. And the reason for this is when you, pull, when you make a diagnosis of COPD, like of asthma, basically you take a decision on a lifelong treatment. So over-treatment is a major issue if you don't have a confirmed diagnosis at the clinical level. Uh, Dr. Horner, to, I was hoping you'd be able to respond to those comments. So um, uh, Dr. Fabri brought up two interesting issues, the fact that the definition of COPD was revised uh, during the course of your study um, uh, to include symptoms and risk exposures. And then the second issue was um, the fact that sometimes we require repeat measurements of spirometry uh, to have a confirmatory diagnosis of COPD. I was hoping you could comment on those two um, issues. For sure. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it's true that, that the definition and the diagnostic pathway of a COPD diagnosis was revised in the uh, GOLD report in the last few years. Uh, however, the GOLD Report is our main guidelines in CPD diagnosis still require obstruction in spirometry. That does not mean that in daily clinical practice we have lots of patients which may suffer from early CPD, from CPD we cannot catch adequately with uh, spirometry. Um, but for the official diagnosis and also for all clinical studies and for all uh, studies here for the medications, um, an obstruction in spirometry was necessary. So in that kind, when we only look at the official diagnosis according to the current guidelines, we still need spirometry and an obstructive uh, spirometry. So in that kind, it is or in my opinion, uh, it is allowed to say that we have an overdiagnosis, but for sure that, are, that we are missing some patients 
which may benefit from from treatment, um, but we, which are not catched with our spirometry diagnosis. Um, what Dr. Fabri as well brought up, and which I think is very interesting, that it that it requires repeated. Um, to measurements, and that's for sure that we cannot provide this in our in, in our analysis. Um, although I think that also in daily clinical practice, most physicians only do one spirometry and then tell the patient the diagnosis of COPD or of no COPD. Um, but for for sure, and what what already Dr. Fabri uh, told us that. And which, in my opinion, will be a topic in the next few years in, in, in CPD sciences is that we have to find out, um, patients which do not have an official diagnosis of CPD according to spirometry, but which have, um, symptoms as wheezing, as coughing, as phlegm, uh, production and which may also have changes on computed uh, tomography, um, and they may also benefit from our respiratory medications, but we do not have the official uh, possibility to treat them, and I think that this will will be uh, the future um, sciences and the future studies we, we have to perform uh, to look for the right patients which do not have an obstructive but which do have a smoking history or a history of other um, uh, air pollutants and which have symptoms um, if, we, if they may benefit from, from our respiratory medication. Dr. Fabri, would you like to reply to that? Yeah, no, I agree with Dr. Horner uh, on everything he said. Uh, the issue is uh, that... Uh, uh, we have uh, two, uh, if you look at the study from a clinician point of view, we have two problems. One, more than 50% of the people were non-smokers. Now, fixed airflow limitation or poorly reversible airflow limitation in, in non-smokers may be due to other mechanisms, but not to smoking. And the only COPD we know is the one in smokers. They are all the clinical trials that uh, have been conducted included smoking history, most of them symptoms or exacerbation, and I agree with Dr. Horner, fixed air for limitation. So I do not detract from the issue of fixed air for limitation. But the smoking, a significant smoking history has to be included, likewise, a significant history of, of symptoms, of chronic symptoms, for making a clinical decision. That's one point. Regarding the second point that is increasingly coming to our attention, is that we have an increasing proportion of smokers, particularly elderly, who have clinical features of COPD. They have chronic cough, sputum, dyspnea, and exacerbation, but nonetheless, they do not have uh, fixed uh, airflow limitation or poorly reversible airflow limitation. Even in these subjects, we do not have uh, 
we do not have uh, uh, information sufficient to make a diagnosis. But uh, as we suggested in the editorial, waiting for the evidence, because studies are being conducted in this population, um, I think that uh, a, a, a treatment, uh, you know, uh, exuvantibus treatment of a few weeks uh, to see whether the patient benefit from uh, the treatment of COPD is worthwhile considering. And actually we do because uh, uh, in several of these subjects, uh, symptomatic smokers, elderly, independently from uh, the CT scan, we make an attempt to see whether there is some response uh, to treatment. Uh, this would also help to detect uh, COPD from uh, asthma, because if we see after a cycle of treatment a significant improvement uh, in lung function, we may uh, think that there is an underlying asthma and uh, we may make the diagnosis, uh, uh, you know, move the diagnosis in that direction. Also, finally, uh, in, in these people, we, uh, particularly the, the heavy symptomatic, you know, cut more than 20 or uh, MRC more than two or three, uh, you should very carefully also exclude, particularly in the elderly, that there is uh, no cardiovascular component that is responsible, particularly for this new. Uh, Dr. Faria, I think you're highlighting a couple of issues that clinicians face uh, on a daily basis. Um, and one of them is the difference between COPD versus chronic bronchitis versus emphysema versus those patients who may have a combination of both asthma and COPD. So maybe for the benefit of our chest community, you could just outline how you distinguish those three or four entities um, and yeah. how you would separate those apart. Yeah, um, I think that is simpler of the unbelievable amount of literature that uh, we have on, uh, on this issue. I mean, chronic bronchitis is just a clinical syndrome. It's cough and sputum for three months per year for at least two years. And uh, emphysema, is a diagnosis that today we can make with CT scan. In COPD, you, have, uh, you may have a different, you know, only 20, 30, 40 maximum percent of people have also chronic bronchitis. And also CT scan measure emphysema varies in different studies according to the criteria, but maybe 20, 30%. Most of the people have both. So I think that uh, uh, because we, don't, we do not have guidelines for chronic bronchitis or emphysema, we should look for COPD and then say, this patient has COPD, comma, has also chronic bronchitis, comma, has also or not emphysema. I mean, the emphysema is important uh, to search for uh, where you... Uh, have the possibility to make interventions. Because today, we have options for emphysema that are volume reduction surgery that was invasive until a few 
Years ago, now is increasingly non-invasive. So CT scan for the severe patient is uh, uh, interesting, the COPD patient, because uh, if you get the emphysema and you see that it has the characteristics that respond to uh, uh, volume reduction surgery or valve intervention, non-invasive interventions, I think you have an opportunity to treat uh, this patient. But you should distinguish uh, the terms, as, by the way, shown also in this study. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Horn, I wanted to just turn your attention to two other um, uh, issues that uh, uh, I was curious about. Um, and you mentioned that uh, it was doctor-defined COPD. And were you able to distinguish what type of doctors those were, for example, um, emergency room physicians versus family practitioners versus pulmonologists versus internal medicine trained? Uh, that was the one question. Um, and the other was, um, do you think it would be beneficial to instead of just spirometry, um, to do full pulmonary function tests where we have the total lung capacity and the diffusion capacity. Admittedly, those aren't part of the criteria for COPD, but sometimes you can infer some additional information from that. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, unfortunately, we, we do not know which, um, which kind of doctor, which uh, which which um, formation uh, the or background the physician had who labeled or who, who diagnosed this patient with CPD. So unfortunately, I have to say no. Um, according to the uh, to your second uh, point about uh, full spell of full lung function, including body seismography, I think that this may add some. Some important information, and that's all the doctor probably added uh, in the last few minutes. Um, you can also see uh, the the uh, kind of uh, um, how 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 overinflated the, the patient's lungs are. So, if there's any use useful uh, intervention uh, to uh, to lung volume reduction, so I think that full body seismography adds a lot of, of information which may be useful in, in daily clinical practice. If it may be possible, I, I just want, wanted to go back to one, one other thing. Um, we, we talked a few minutes ago uh, about previous uh, smoking. And in my opinion, uh, and Dr. Fabi told us that uh, lots of, uh, or the majority of, of patients or of subjects in, in the board study were non-smokers, and that's true. Um, but in my opinion, uh, if you look at CPD worldwide, uh, we also have to, to um, uh, think about other air pollutants as, as uh, in household uh, uh, atmosphere during uh, cooking or during lightning, especially in 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 poorer countries. So uh, I think only looking at the smoking status and saying, well, it's a non-smoker that can't be CBD, um, may lead to a, to a wrong diagnosis, and and we may uh, oversee some some real CBD patients. And we if we look at CPD under diagnosis, and if we only look at it spirometrically, uh, 
defined COPD. Um, we have seen in previous studies, as already by, by Dr. Lamprecht from, from our uh, team, um, more than 80% of uh, patients or subjects with an obstructed spirometry do not have the official COPD diagnosis. And in most of these subjects, they also may have COPD. Um, we had one, one more point <laughs> um, about the daily life in clinical practice. And as Dr. Fabri said, that, that most physicians, and we also do that in, in our department, if we have a, a patient, a, a patient with uh, symptoms and stomachically not defined COPD, we also of, often put them on a clinical trial of respiratory medication, then look if he, if he or she improved. Um, although we have to admit that this is not supported by any guideline, but as you also can, can see, this is used in Italy and in Austria, and I imagine <laughs> that this is used in, in many other countries worldwide. Great. Um, yeah. So, Dr. Fabri, I wanted to just ask you, how do you think um, this study advances our understanding of COPD? And how do you think it's going to influence our clinical practice? Yeah, this is a, a state-of-the-art uh, uh, epidemiologic study. And every study has the limitations that uh, uh, I mentioned before. When you transfer the result of the epidemiologic study to the clinical uh, level. So I have no criticism, and I think that uh, the study made a, a strong suggestion to be careful in uh, uh, handling a patient with a doctor diagnosis of COPD. And in my opinion, uh, this uh, is a useful uh, is a useful uh, message, clear cut and uh, and uh, useful for the reader of chest, or mainly clinicians. Having said that, I think that uh, uh, we uh, have uh, to uh, also transfer like we have to transfer the clinical trials to the real world, probably we have also to adapt the epidemiological design to the real world. So, uh, for instance, uh, uh, you know, as I mentioned, repeated measurement of lung function, Make sure that you have uh, all the feature, clinical features that you need uh, using uh, uh, questionnaires. In this respect, I think that uh, I would recommend uh, Dr. Horner and his colleagues. They have a beautiful database uh, where they can indeed uh, do a postdoc analysis of this study and look at the symptomatic smokers. Uh, and see, you know, in that specific population without airflow limitations, so real COPD, where, whether uh, or not, uh, uh, you know, the signal of this overdiagnosis uh, still holds so strong. 
at uh, one point. And, uh, and uh, the, but the most important is also that is that uh, like uh, in uh, randomized clinical trials, we have to have broader criteria. Otherwise, uh, we, we produce findings that apply only to a minority of the patients. And, uh, and, uh, and so, we, in fact, we are uh, moving to more real-world studies. Similarly, in epidemiologic studies, this study suggests that uh, you should also modify the criteria. And, uh, uh, you know, for these, like for others, uh, particularly in a disease like COPD, that is uh, very often associated with uh, uh, concomitant chronic diseases that may mimic the same uh, symptoms. So you have to be, uh, you know, to include this variable, particularly in the elderly population and in the more severe patient, as part of the picture. The take-home message I'm getting from you, Dr. Fabri, is one, uh, and, and, and this is partly in what you said in your, in, in your editorial, is if you have a patient coming with a self-reported diagnosis of COPD, make sure you get some spirometry as a clinician. And then if you think the patient doesn't meet COPD criteria, make sure that you look for asthma, heart failure, hypertension, because it may be a false positive COPD diagnosis. Um, Dr. Horn, I just wanted to Correct. turn to you uh, uh, towards the end. And uh, So there are no perfect studies, um, and we always look for opportunities to improve our previous work. If you had the chance to redesign your study uh, with the benefit of what you know now, what would you change? Um, I think in the, in the, main, or the, the main point, uh, which we try to do is looking at the symptoms. And, and we only looked at the symptoms um, of patients with a previous diagnosis of COPD, chronic bronchitis, or emphysema. Uh, and in my opinion, and, and it's also su suggested by Dr. Fabri, maybe we should do an, an now post-talk analysis or an, a further analysis uh, and only looking at former smokers or, or patients with with symptoms. The only thing I can add to this subject that at the moment is that if we look at um, previous diagnosis of COPD, we, we we can see that this were highly symptomatic patients. So in in more than eighty percent to ninety percent, they reported um, more than one symptoms, so more than one symptoms as was defined as coughing, phlegm, or wheezing, or dyspnea. Uh, so these were, were patients with symptoms. Um, if we could redesign it, maybe, maybe it would be an opportunity and to uh, um, incorporate the current goal guidance that we were only looking at patients with the symptoms and exclude uh, patients without any symptoms. Thank you. Well, I want to be very mindful of both your time. So I just want to draw this podcast towards a conclusion. But before I do that, I just want to give uh, uh, Dr. Horner, if there's anything that we haven't covered in this podcast that you wanted to mention. And then after that, I'll do the same with uh, Dr. Uh, Fabri. So Dr. Horner. 
So in, in my opinion, one, one thing and which is also my opinion, uh, at the main point, uh, which we should draw, um, from this study and looking at future studies, uh, it is important that we miss many patients which are symptomatic and which have some, some respiratory disease, but which are simply not covered in our official diagnostic scheme of CAPD. And this is the, the, the problem that at the moment all clinical studies rely on airflow limitation. And so the risk-benefit ratio for treating non-obstructive early CAPD has not assessed at the moment. So in my opinion, this would be one important point uh, to look at this in the future. Thank you. And Dr. Fabry? Uh, yeah, uh, I, you know, I think that, uh, uh, first I agree with Dr. Horner that uh, to, to think only about smoking in your COPD is a mistake. So I agree. I mean, there is an area of the world where you have uh, to uh, always ask about uh, indoor or outdoor or, or occupational pollution. Uh, uh, but I will say that the clinical trial have been, has been, have been done only in COPD patients, so that's one point. But uh, it's a conceptual point that I'd like to address, and is the following. I think we spent our life thinking about uh, early COPD as uh, a a disease of smokers who were asymptomatic but had uh, uh, obstruction of the peripheral airways, the so-called silent zone of the lung. And uh, because we used the wrong tools to assess the function of the peripheral airways, we were underestimating uh, the prevalence of uh, COPD, and we were postponing intervention. Now, I'd like to see to say that uh, we need to move out of this concept and consider that symptoms that themselves may be an early sign of uh, uh, disease, even without airflow limitation. And particularly if we think about smokers, we should think about uh, uh, symptoms as markers of a respiratory as well as a systemic disease because smoking is causing simultaneously the onset and progression of respiratory, as well as cardiovascular, as well as metabolic, as well as an endocrine diseases induced by smoking. This is a concept that we should uh, keep in mind for future studies because, uh, you know, if you, if you look at the mortality data, smokers do not die primarily of respiratory diseases. They die primarily of cardiovascular diseases Castle. Suggesting that the systemic effect is occurring probably before 
the, uh, the, the, the respiratory effect. Agree, and I thank yeah. you for uh, that very great insight. Um, I want to bring this podcast to a close, and I think we've been very fortunate to have two experts uh, from Austria and Italy um, share their insights about COPD. So again, a very big thank you to Drs. Horner and Fabri for a great conversation, and a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. Uh, I'm Dominic Pepper, and this is the Chess Podcast. <laughs>